Welcome to the Radical Departures podcast, your source for startup storytelling. We're your hosts, Abby and Chris. You'll hear informative discussions full of valuable expertise and actionable insight on the issues you face when launching and growing your startup. This is episode 24 of the Radical Departures podcast. Our guest today is Sven Dijkvis, co-founder of Neuland Alliance, a multi-pronged agency that provides strategic and support services to European startups so they can hit the ground running when expanding to the U.S. market. In this episode, Sven shares some of the ways that Neuland supports the startups they work with, why he believes so strongly in the importance of helping European startups enter the U.S. market the right way, some of the major misconceptions those companies often have about making it in the U.S., and mistakes they make along the way. A quick reminder, we hope you're enjoying Radical Departures. If so, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. So without further ado, here's episode 24 with Sven Dijkvis. We're here with Sven Dijkvis. Sven, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us about your company? Yeah, I'm Sven, and I am one of two managing partners of Neuland Alliance, a US company that helps European entrepreneurs to expand to the US. Primarily focused on the whole bureaucratic setup that you have to go through. And we found that out the hard way. It's very, very different and individual for every company. And we saw, especially for Europe, there are a lot of consultants and advisors and European lawyers and accountants who will give you kind of the one-stop shop solution. And that often is not right and is not the good thing to do. And it's not the standard 101, do the Delaware LLC and you're fine. So we started to build an infrastructure around that. We have an awesome team in the States of all of the professions from lawyers to data people, immigration, accountants, technology providers. And we think we figured out how to make it easier, sometimes even cheaper. And we managed to take away a little bit of the cognitive load that every entrepreneur has when thinking about a step like expanding to the US and actually doing that. That's what we do. Now, Sven, did you come up with this idea from experience? You said uh, uh, you had some kind of, uh, you know, you learned the hard way, but how did you come to this point? What kind of things did you see? What kind of things did you go through before? There are like different reasons to start that problem or start to tackle that problem. I was living in the U.S. I was working in, in Silicon Valley in San Francisco, and I got the startup buck. Um, it was so fascinating to see how they do it, how quick they're moving, and how risky some of the moves were. And coming back to Europe after a year or so, and trying to take the knowledge and the experience and try to work with European entrepreneurs, I was very disappointed how different the, the scene and the character of the startups and the founders were. So that was more or less my first disappointment with the European scene, if you want to. And the question I had was, why is that? And obviously, there's a lot of culture involved. But there were a few things that I found out. And in this case, the personal way, the personal hard way, 
I started to invest in a couple of companies in Europe, uh, in London and Berlin. They failed, lost a lot of money, which was a pity, but part of the, of the game, I guess. And we tried to bring two companies to the US. And the reason was to get access to the capital that, like US, the land of milk and honey, the experience of going through that and seeing how hard it is, and especially all of this legal and accounting system that is so different from Europe. And if you fuck up early with that process, you have a huge problem on the like later. You will pay that with <laughs> big checks in a year or two along the, the process. So we failed with that. And that was the point where I thought about what can you do? And that was basically this personal experience. That was the reason to try to do something against that. How did you go about forming your company? You formed Newland together with some other people that had also been through comparable experiences? Yes. The other managing partner, Matthew Hagam, he is based in New York, CEO of a, an accounting tech company. And he, we had similar experiences. His experience on the other side of the pond was that you had that European entrepreneurs, shiny eyes, big ideas, the mission to take the big apple or take Silicon Valley, and they just landed in New York in this case, and they were not prepared at all. They got wrong advice from home and were so overloaded with advice from different perspectives, different experts different accelerators, different programs that basically after a month or two, they decided that it's way too much, that they can't do it, they won't do it, and they will do it later. And they spend like a month or two in one of the most expensive cities of the world and gained nothing. And that was for Matthew, like heartbreaking every time. And yeah, we found each other and we started to work on that and set up the beginning of program, we had a virtual conference around that topic, and then step by step gathered the people, the experts, to be a resource and, if you want so, a tool to start the process of thinking about US expansion for startups. And that, like, step by step leads to a more structured version that is not in the lines nowadays. And what type are you working with any specific type of European startup? more business-focused, more consumer-focused? What does your typical client look like? We're still in the process of finding out. I just last week, I wrapped up 2017 and just cleaned up our database. And I was shocked to see that we evaluated 3,000 startups last or this year, which was shocking to me just thinking about how much time that took. And there are some patterns that, that we see. It is more an exclusive than an inclusive profile. We have some verticals that we just don't touch, something like most of fintech, because often these are very local or national solutions and problems. And the like adaption of a product to the US market would probably not be advisable. Things like e-commerce is always hard if your, your main asset is marketing. It's so hard to compete against good marketers in the U.S. if that is your main asset. So if they don't have stake in the value creation or production or something USP-ish, then that is not interesting. 
health is always hard because certification and the whole regulatory process in the U.S. is, we haven't figured that out. So we're always careful with health. That are some of the areas that we don't like too much. We love a few verticals like data, analytics, AI. That is always interesting because we figured out that Europe, with its deep knowledge and the stark um, tie between universities and entrepreneurship, often has an advantage and superiority against the U.S. competition, which is awesome. We like hardware, obviously, the good engineering um, capacities of France, for example, or Germany, of course. That is always interesting. And obviously for us, it's interesting because it's a little bit more complicated from the legal and certification, import, export, all of that stuff. So this is very interesting. And this has a little bit to do with my background. I did a lot of marketing, strategy, growth, hacking, whatever that means nowadays. Everything marketing, online marketing, B2B, B2C, nobody cares. That is a natural thing for us. We're hunting them down. We're evaluating them in, in like two phases, a very short one, which is the 3,000. And we have around 15, 16% was the number that I got last week of them past that first glance. And then we have like a five-minute evaluation where we dig a little bit deeper. And that are around 240 companies last year. So it's very customized, very individual, because we're not a startup and we don't want to be. We want to really deliver the quality and the customization of this US expansion process. So it's handpicked. So it's hard to give you a concrete profile. And what stage are the startups that you usually work with? Sometimes we have the first base or touch base with them like a year before they start US expansion processes. And these are the companies where we really think they are rock stars and we want them. We want to be their partner. Often the later stage ones, or like they're a little bit more mature, it's between seed and series A. So they have a bit of money, they have figured out their own home market to a certain extent. The product is ready and is a fit for the market and the needs. And what's most important to me, really talking to them and having the face-to-face interaction, they are grown-ups, like the founders at the C-level. There's so many I-know-it-all people out there in this startup scene and entrepreneurial environment. And I think that is the, the worst trade you can have, to think you know it all and to think you've figured it out. We have a lot of them on a call where we know that that is not, we're not a good partner for you. We think you might excel and you might go through the roof, but we're not good for you. So these are some of the factors where we're, sometimes it's face, not always. Do you have any typical examples of clients that you have here in Europe that you've brought over to the US? I don't know if you're able to share any names or maybe case studies of how the process has worked and what you've done to help them and how that's worked out. I hang around with too many lawyers and I use the it depends phrase too much. It depends. We see a few areas that are critical again and again and where most of our work is done. It is this actually easy question of what is the legal setup? What is the company? Is it an LLC? Is it a C-Corp? Is it an Inc? Whatever. And that is not a simple or let's say not an easy process because 
especially for European companies, it's always the big question or the first question is, what is the best solution for our structure that we actually have at home? And with that, the question of, do we want to do a relocation of headquarter? Or do we just want to have a branch office? Do we want a PR office that is doing the sales and marketing? Do we want to directly sell from Europe to the US market or sell from a US subsidy to the US market? What does that mean when it comes to taxes? And that is terrible. And I personally, I hate all of this process. And that is probably the reason why I started to dig into it and try to find the best people that were accessible to deal with that things for me, because it is so stupidly complicated and so bureaucratic. And you're absolutely right. If you do one or two bad decisions here, worst case, that's it. We have one solution, Anne Wolfson, she's our main legal counselor. She worked with a Swedish company and there was one sentence missing in the contract with a big US client that ultimately led to failing of the company because there was a big legal fight and their Swedish corporate lawyers were not so familiar with US law and the legal system and all the pitfalls. And like four years later, they had to sell. And it was like very, very bad for them. So these questions around the legal structure, the risk mitigation for the European entity, and with that, all the accounting and tax questions, and like that as a package, and how to make that efficient, to not have like a whole team sitting on this bureaucratic shit because like startups are there to innovate, to really drive things and to be domain experts and having like two or four or five people on staff on payroll to deal with that stuff. That is just terrible. So we try to not only risk mitigate, but to find efficient ways so that even for early startups, it is more possible and accessible to go to the States. Because that is our ultimate goal, to get them earlier and give them early access to the U.S. market to compete better with the U.S. counterparts that are often worse. They're not good, but they dominate because they have the environment, they have the clusters and the hubs like Silicon Valley, like New York City. They have the money through the investment scene. And so even if they are not as good as the European startups and their products and their talent and their passion behind that, they still win the market. And that freaks me out every time I see that. So we try to make it possible earlier. And again, legal, big question, legal setup and the relationship to the European entity, the whole accounting and tax questions. And then we have this whole like peripheral infrastructure around data, legal questions around different data segments. Can you, how do you deal with US data versus European data? Things like we care about the immigration. We have one of the coolest immigration lawyers. Yeah, he's pretty awesome and funny. We care about HR, another big, big question. Do you bring people from Europe to the US and let them lead this market expansion, or do you hire professionals on the ground? So we have HR not only from the compliance side, but finding, recruiting, and retaining talent, which is completely different in the States uh, than every European country. I think these are the, the big three, HR, accounting, legal. 
It sounds like such a set of useful services. And I know right now the, the French government is really investing in trying to get more foreigners to move here and set up companies or bring their companies here. Do you guys do any, I know you're in Germany, but do you do any work in the reverse way, bringing U.S. startups to Europe? Yeah, we're thinking about it, obviously, especially after the last election in the U.S. For me, it was interesting to think about it because my goal always was to, or the hypothesis was you have to go to the U.S. if you want to gain international or global competitiveness. Because if you're like expanding from Germany to France or from France to UK, and you need probably two, three or four countries in Europe to gain access to a good addressable market and a good amount of clients or users to reach the level of, okay, we can go international now. We are an international startup. And it's so much easier to just choose the US as your first market and go there because it's like 320 million people. It's a very buyer-oriented market, a very, they experiment a lot. So the environment is just awesome. But we were very aware that like just having one pillar, just this road from Europe to the US is risky to us. So we obviously thought about the other way. We currently work with uh, one US company that is expanding to Europe, serving them a little bit. So we're testing out the other side or the to not leave it a one-way street, but open up the other side of the bridge. So yes, but it is obviously their later stage companies. So they have a lot of internal capabilities. And it is so much harder to expand to Europe because you're not expanding to Europe. You're expanding to 26 different countries with 26 different legal systems, bureaucratic systems, cultures, languages. So it is a, a different set of problems. I mean, we started to interact with some European counterparts, some lawyers, some accountants, some patent people, but it's, it's a different process. And especially for the US, the big question is, is Europe really that attractive? And is that your first market of expansion? Or do you go to Latin and South America? Do you go to Asia, to China, to India? So Europe has a lot of competition when it comes to expansion locations and markets. So obviously we're thinking about that. And our goal long-term, our vision is to make Neuland the go-to organization for expansion period no matter where you want to go or where you come from. But it's always a question of resources, obviously. So yeah, we're thinking about it. And we're, we're testing the waters a little bit. But it's a lot tougher to bring US companies to Europe than the other way around. And what do you find are the greatest misconceptions or surprises that European companies find when they go to the States? What are typical issues that you hear? I think one of the main things and one of the reasons why Matthew and I partnered up to do Neuland was the idea of let's just fly over and let's just see what happens. And a lot of people think that it's not only the money, but the whole environment is too open. They consider it as we're just coming there and then we're setting up some meetings and then we are on the US market. And that is not at all how it works. There is, for every problem and every solution, there's a huge amount of competition. And just showing up or going with an accelerator who 
offers you three months of free co-working space and a few mentors. That's not it. So the toughness of accessing potential partners and clients, that is underestimated, totally underestimated. A second thing that's always interesting, people only think about New York and Silicon Valley. That's it. And that is just not true. There are, for different industries, for different verticals, it's sometimes, it's advisable to look to other locations. And it is not just these two cities and hubs. That is interesting too, especially when it comes to with an agriculture and farming startup that, that we had a long conversation with. And for them, it's stupid to go to Silicon Valley or to New York. Oh, they have to. They're be. not really known as farming hubs, exactly. are they? Exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, California maybe, but not the Silicon Valley. So this is interesting that there's a lot of one dimensionality in there. It's just these two cities. And I think another one, and that is a little, I learned that too. When I say the European Union is not a unified market, it is 26, 27, whatever countries, it's a little bit like the US. It is not the United States. It is not one market. The East Coast is so different from the West Coast, is so different from the big area in the middle, is so different from the South, is so different from Texas. You don't have one market, especially when it comes to marketing and selling. You have to do a lot of legwork. And it's not, it is a unified market. Yes, the rules are quite similar. Yes, but acquisition and activation of clients and users is a, a very dynamic and versatile process. And obviously the money thing, yes. There is a lot of money. It is easier to get it. But here again, just buying a, a ticket and show up on the airport, there, the immigration lawyer is not handing you a check. It's like there's a lot of work and a lot of networking and relationship building and trust and back and forth of numbers and contracts and whatever. It is really hard to get money. And that is, I think, a global thing. There's no real difference between Europe and the States. So what's the future for Northern Alliance? We have like two or three options. Obviously, we, we think about the geographical dimension, for example, bringing more U.S. companies to Europe. We're thinking about building up connections to Asia, Singapore, Shanghai, because especially for the hardware startups that we're talking to, obviously that is a big one. And that could be another expansion that we're starting next year. This year we started the discussions and the networking around setting up a fund potentially. I mean, I said it is hard everywhere to get money, um, but the valuations are a true, uh, com like that is not a misconception. The valuations in the US are just so much higher. And with that, the, the money you get for your equity is incredibly higher compared to some numbers that I hear from Europe where I freak out, where you have like, yeah, we gave up 30% and we got like 200,000 for that. You're like, what the, you're dead. That's it. Sorry. Um, nobody will, th there won't be a follow up. So to, to bridge that a little bit and to maybe finance a little bit of the U.S. expansion costs, we think about setting up a, a fund in the U.S. to invest in European companies that are in the process of expanding. So that could be something that we're setting up next year. And I think like my main goal with that, my personal vendetta, my personal like mission here is it, 
I hate to see U.S. startups that are they're not really good sometimes. Um, their product is not good. Their product market fit is like okay-ish. Their mission or their passion is the dollar signs and not the product and not the clients. And they just still win globally because they're quicker. They are able to take market early and take these early adopters with them because they are in the U.S. market. They got the money, they got the environment, the support structures. And when I see them and I know a European company that is in their field, that hurts because I know the Italian company, they have better talent, they have a better product, they have the right mindset, they are like serving their clients and not their investors or their own bank account. Uh, and still I know they won't, they won't compete with them. Like the moment the Italian company tries to go to the US, it's hard to get in there and compete. So that is that will remain our goal for next year to make that more accessible and to build the infrastructure to make that even easier. Because obviously we, we have internal flaws left and right. And communication is a real, real pain when a lawyer is talking to another lawyer, is talking to a data expert, is talking to an accountant, and they try to find out what is the best location to set up a C-Corp, or is it an LLC, or is the C-Corp an umbrella and a blocker and just a holding? It is a pain. So we need to, to be more efficient internally, and I think we, we need to make it easier and more cost-efficient for the startups to really be able to move quickly and don't hang in that process of evaluating if it's the right time uh, and how to do it. So I think that is the main, that will be the, the main challenge for us next year to wrap up our processes and to make them streamlined. And I just wanted to expand on that point. How do you help a company that has better, they have a better product, they have people who are more dedicated to making this work for the customer, all of that, but they're facing some marketing machine with a soft product. What are a couple steps that you would take to make that more of a reality to be successful in that context? You mean beyond the, the bureaucratic stuff or? Yes. Yeah. That is an another area where we're exploring supporting this first 100 days of user or client or customer onboarding and finding them, approaching them, and actually converting them. Most times it is a network approach. You always start with a couple of people that are in the area and that can give you a good understanding of how acquisition is done in that area. How do you acquire customer clients, whatever? I mean, we have a huge network because we have all of these experts and they're, like I think our youngest person is our insurance agent and she is an insurance professional for 10 years now. Everybody else is like 10, 15, sometimes I think 20 years plus. So they have a huge network. So that is what we support with to get that initial knowledge and understanding of the market mechanism and connect them to the hopefully first clients actually 
and from there, step by step, decide if they outsource marketing and sales, which I'm not a big fan of, but for some companies and models, it's okay. Or if they bring their people from Europe, or if they hire locally, do they hire like legwork folk, or do they hire like the, the industrial leader in that space? So this is often a HR decision after you found out what your marketing and sales funnel will look like. So we try to help there. Um, that is not, I wouldn't say efficient, but we haven't optimized that process yet because it is so hard to find people who really can help here because that really depends on your industry. Like selling shoes is so different from selling circuit boards, is so different from selling medical gear or tech. And that is why we, we constrain it or restrain it to the first 100 days. Because from there, it gets too, too deep and too domain-specific. And you need to have someone that is not part of Neuland because we, we can't have that many experts. You help them get the process started and then they continue rolling. So would you also help them with, uh, say, partners, whether it's like a big consulting company or... IT implementation services, anything like that as well? Here again, there is a, a natural limit to that. But yes, because you said a big company or big service providers, we don't work with big people. We only work with boutique-style partners. So I think the biggest company that we have within our service providers is our accounting technology integrator. They have 34 people, something like that. And that is like big for us. Usually we have four or five people max because then you have the real people working on your case and not the assistants um, while you pay senior level. And you have kind of a cultural fit and alignment of goals. So whenever we can provide that with our partners, we do. We help. And it's not just consulting. It is implementation. It is execution. We actually don't do consulting at all. We do help when it comes to the decision of, is it the right time and do we have the resources? Yes. But besides that, we are executors. So yeah, we, we help with, with most of that. And here again, marketing is always hard. The, the basic setup, no problem. Uh, we've done it 100 times. But the more domain-specific it is, the less we actually can help. And we try to help with our network. But that is another point. We can't do your job. So the startup has the experience. They have the knowledge. They know what they actually need when it comes to the more internal things. So we're doing a lot of hand-holding, but there's a limit to that hand-holding because we want them to succeed long-term. And if we do the job for them, then they won't. If we are their outsourced expansion unit, then their expansion won't go well the moment we hand over. We're not consultants who do your job or claim to do your job. We're just like the handholders and pathfinders to like push you in a direction. Cool. So to finish up, how would you define success for Norland Alliance and for you personally? We have different answers internally when it comes to that, uh, which is a good thing <laughs> because Matthew, who's like on the ground in New York or he moved to Washington now, is always 
from the service provider and U.S. perspective when it comes to that. And there, our main metric is how many jobs have we created through the startups that we brought over. And I think that is a, a good metric for success for the startups, for us as making an impact, in this case, in the USA, and to actually create value and benefit to, yeah, you can get philosophical here, to the, the broader society. That is one of the goals. A more European perspective of that is my goal would be to dominate the U.S. market with European companies. And that's always, you can't tell that when I'm on the, in the U.S. and with our service providers, it's hard to throw such a punch at them. But I honestly think the European startups and their founders are so superior sometimes to everything I see in Silicon Valley, in New York, in Boston, in Austin, in Seattle, that they will kick ass over there and like gear up USA. If they are coming with the passion, with their expertise, when they make use of the talent that we have in Europe and enter the market with a good sales and marketing machine built in the US, where the US is superior, but the products, the technology, the innovation is awesome. And if we are able to help a couple of these innovators and uh, breakthrough companies from Europe to win the international race and not lose against a mediocre U.S. competitor just because they are in the U.S. and have that starting market and that starting position, that is success for me. And that is why we, we hunt them down and we handpick the startups we want to work with because we want to be part of that experience and part of that support structure to get these companies through the roof because they deserve. They deserve it. That would be success for me to have a couple of companies per year that get into the situation of playing on a global field and on a global level and actually crush the, the international competition because they can. wraps up another episode of the Radical Departures podcast. Thanks for listening. Support us on Patreon. And join us next time on Radical Departures.